My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. And welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give participants in a wide range of social change work a chance to take a longer view as they talk about what they do, how they do it, and why they do it. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Ian Ford. Many people who work to end the violence faced by women and other gender-oppressed people have long pointed out that responses which focus on changing the behavior of women don't go there, don't wear that, and so on, are not only inadequate but are also sexist and unjust. Instead, we must work to change both the men and the institutions that are responsible for the vast majority of this violence. This is not, as today's interview participant makes clear, a matter of bashing men, but of working with men to challenge the ideas and attitudes and practices that we all learn across many different spheres of our lives that reinforce and reproduce social relations of gender oppression. And it involves introducing men to the idea that not only are we privileged by that particular facet of how our social world is organized, but we're also constrained by the dominant ways that we're taught to do masculinity, and that both a more just world and a richer realization of our own humanity can only come through opposing gender oppression and gender-based violence. Ian Ford works with a community-based education project called I Can Manifest Change. He talks to me about the work that they do with men and boys. I spoke with Ford by phone from Ottawa. My name is Ian Ford. I'm a social worker at Ottawa. I did my Bachelor of Social Work at Carleton University, and I am now pursuing my Master's of Social Work at Carleton. When I first started my BSW at Carleton, a few of my friends and I got together and started a group called Men for Equality and Nonviolence. And basically, the idea of that group was addressing violence on campus and men's roles in ending violence against women. Specifically at Carleton, there were issues around sexual assaults that were happening. So it was a very timely group that we started. And that kind of just snowballed with the events we did for that group. We held workshops. We held coffeehouse events at Carleton. We did various activist organizing. We held student gatherings around particular issues. We leafleted the campus with information, and we just generally engaged students. We worked closely as well with fraternities on campus for a time at the beginning. So just, yeah, I guess just general engagement and spreading the word and knowledge about this particular issue. Eventually, the co-founder of that, Ron Couchman, started to work with the Ottawa Coalition to End Violence Against Women, Doctiva in the I Can Manifest Change project, and I recently took over that project as he went on to work with the White Ribbon Campaign in Toronto. And the goal of I Can Manifest Change was, again, educating men, young men and boys, about our role in ending violence against women. I Can Manifest Change, with their education piece, have developed a manual, a training manual, and how to address the issue of violence against women from a male perspective. We also developed pamphlets and general information about the issue. It's been going on for about a year and a half. We've been in the media. We helped spread the word about various issues with lots of postering. You may have heard of the uh, Don't Be That Guy campaign. We helped a lot with that. So yeah, just raising general awareness and engaging men. 
I'd like to explore each of these things in a bit more detail. Maybe start off with the Don't Be That Guy campaign. Tell me about how that works, what images, what messages, where it comes from, that kind of thing. I believe the Don't Be That Guy campaign was started in Calgary. As men for equality and nonviolence, we noticed that campaign and we just expressed our interest and got some posters from Calgary. The posters show different situations that university students or young men might be in and it basically shows everyday situations and it kind of challenges our paradigm around what we think is okay. So it might show an intoxicated woman and say that it's not sex when she's wasted and then in a little caption below it says don't be that guy and I think what that does, it really does challenge a kind of paradigm of what men are taught as men. It kind of challenges traditional forms of masculinity in that it takes a situation where men are socialized to think it's okay to pursue sex and then flips it on its head and really just challenges what we think. I mean, obviously the poster campaign's not perfect. It's not the end-all, be-all, the, the solution, but it just is that quick post that can just challenge some really firmly inhaled beliefs about masculinity. And I encourage anyone to look on the internet, type in Don't Be That Guy, and you can see the posters for yourself. Tell me more about the things that men are taught as men, the things that come bundled with masculinity that you're looking to challenge with the posters or with some of your other work. Men have been trained for a long time to be, to be a certain way, to not express emotions the same way, to only express certain forms of anger and certain forms of being scared and acting out violence in certain ways. I'm not saying that men should never feel angry and men should never express being scared and, and men should never be that strong role or be in that strong role. But what we're challenging is the fact that we don't always have to be in that role that we're taught. We don't always have to be the pursuer in relationships and we don't always have to express our anger and, and violence. We don't have to put down other men based on how feminine they are. And I think the narrow forms of masculinity that we were taught since a very early age, whether it be in the media or in our daily lives, that form of masculinity is just not okay at all. It never was, and it certainly isn't now. And so we just need to challenge what it is we're doing. And that's the philosophy of what we do at the IQ Manifest Change. A lot of men are taken back by that. For this upcoming training, I, I created a poster just basically advertising the training. And it says a little bit about what we do. And some of the feedback I got was that I guess some men read this and said that it looks like a man bashing session. And that's certainly not at all what we're about, and that's not at all what we do. And I think that that kind of snap assumption about, you know, we're bashing men is frankly ridiculous. And I think it really shows the true issue, which is that some men don't know how to express new kinds of feelings. And I think it just speaks to a kind of anger and frustration that men have to being confined. I, I think we have such a narrow a narrow idea about these issues. And so we instantly say, you know, this is man bashing. And I think it's extremely positive for men as well. I think that in challenging these things and in bringing these things forward, it's creating a really great alternative to the current macho masculine presentation that we all find ourselves in in one way or another. So you mentioned that another kind of activity that 
the project has done is bringing in speakers and have community gatherings, community education sessions. Who were some of these speakers and what were the specific focuses of some of these gatherings? The speakers that we've had on panels and in various events were usually experts in the community, men who've worked with other men around either counseling or doing workshops. I was actually one of those speakers at one point before I took over the project. Yeah, so men involved in the community who want to and have a vested interest in addressing issues of male violence against women. And who also have an interest in changing our paradigm of what masculinity is as well. So we've had a number of those over the past year and a half or so, or maybe two years, and we've had mostly positive reaction and really good turnout. So it is a broad group that we get to these things. I think a lot of people from community groups, a lot of people who either run groups or participate in groups within the community, a lot of people who have things to say, because this is a really complicated topic to work through, and it's mostly people who want to say something or who have an experience that they want to share with people. Um, and it's people who just want, who maybe are not as informed and want to become informed. It's people who just want information, really. And you mentioned that the next thing you have coming up is a training session. Training, like I said earlier, is based on this great manual that we've created. And basically the manual has a series of modules that you can work with groups of men with, of all ages as well. All the trainings can be adapted to all ages. So the training that's happening, we're going to go through this workbook and we are going to basically train the trainer, presenting these ideas in a way that people can look at and manage and then share with the community. So our training sessions right now are for people who have the capacity to go out into their own community and present what they want based on our training manual that we've done. So as an example, we have some modules on consent. We have modules on power and control. We have modules on personal stories and how to introduce yourself and how to introduce certain stories about ourselves and what it is to be a man. And basically these modules break down how you can hold your own workshop, the activities you can do, the pitfalls you want to avoid, some terms you want to use, how to challenge certain use of language, just how to be productive in, in workshops of this nature so that they don't just spiral out of control, which often happens. Tell me about the moment of engagement with men. Tell me about the range of reactions that you get to the ideas that you're presenting. different ways and apply it to their own life in many different ways. So 
really like the language aspect of it, where they say, you know, we are confined to this really narrow box of the language that we can use, and we're kind of confined in the media, and they really want to break out of that, and so they take that piece and they want to talk about it some more and run with that. And so there's been a lot of really great positive reactions. The one thing I want to say is that you really have to engage with this material to really begin to understand it, and a lot of men have engaged really well with this material. Just getting over that kind of hurdle, getting over that quick negative reaction, and just looking at the material, actually considering the material before making uh, quick judgments. When you encounter one of these snap reactions that's negative, that's hostile to some of the things that you're saying, what are some of the techniques that you have for trying to respond to that in a way that holds on to the core ideas that you think are important, but that tries to engage as well and isn't just alienating to the guy who's reacting badly? That's always been a challenge and will continue to be a challenge for anyone who picks up this work. I can only speak from my experiences. We've had this discussion with a lot of the men who've really gotten into this. And we talked through this a lot. And there's no one formula with how to deal with it. Unfortunately, it has to do with the individual's comfort level. Maybe I'll give you an example. I mean, I remember working at Carlton with Men for Equality and Nonviolence. And I think that was the hotbed of the negative reactions. And a lot of the really overtly hostile things where a person just wanted to come up to us and rant for as long as they can, usually we would just redirect them. If someone actually wants to engage and challenge us on stuff, I just talk frank and explain, hey, this is not about you as an individual. We don't know you. You're a stranger. We don't expect you to know exactly where we're coming from, and we don't know the details of your life. So we can't speak to personal things like that. But what I always tell them is that we're not accusing you of anything, this is just a different way of thinking. And if you can't handle that, you know, you just kind of have to challenge your own belief system. We're not going to change anyone's mind who's already made it up, who already thinks I'm a feminist man basher, um, <laughs> despite the fact that I, I myself am a man. You know, I'm not going to change their mind. And I've gotten such a good, positive reaction from the community. I've gotten such good, positive reaction from people whose minds we have challenged and, and changed a little bit. And we've gotten positive reaction for people who once may have identified as being that negative block to this. And because we have all that positive reaction, unless somebody wants to really have an honest conversation, I'm not really going to take my time to challenge it that much anymore. They're always going to be there. There's always going to be that block. There's always going to be that person who really doesn't feel like challenging their belief system. They're not going to. They're not going to be changed. And I have great folks who do want to engage and do want to challenge themselves and who want to challenge me in progressive and in really positive ways. But on the other hand, I know there are a lot of guys in this work who really enjoy challenging those people. So all I can say is that it really depends on who you are as a person and how you confront individuals. And just as a note about engaging high school students, a lot of the most progressive-minded men we've ever confronted, the most willing to challenge their own belief system and challenge my belief system in a positive way were young men in schools. So it's often the well-established ideologues who, who are not going to change their minds are the ones who are arguing. 
So you mentioned working with young men who were in their teen years. I happen to be the father of a 10-year-old boy. Tell me a little bit about how you tailor some of the messages that are central to your work to younger boys. Well, we have a few different ways. When Ron and I were doing workshops, we're working with younger men in, in school specifically, so the kids who may be somewhere between 10 and 15. And we wanted to talk about consent and really bring that good definition forward as they get a little bit older. And so um, without going into too much detail, we just figured out a way to kind of tailor this conversation that just makes sense to their lives. Now that's obviously very difficult. I'm not really in a position to know exactly what the community of 10-year-olds are experiencing now, but kind of just hearing from them and tailoring things to their own experiences is really important. And so applying a definition of consent that would fit into their experiences on an everyday basis, whether it's in the playground, in a sports team, or at home, talking about things that they're interested, talking about you know current video games, challenging things in the media been so fantastic with young people because they're so willing to think critically. They're better than a, a third year sociology class, a media sociology class in, in terms of what they're willing to criticize and what they're willing to think about. Because uh, they're not set in their ways perhaps. I don't know what it is about young people, but they, they have such good critical minds from my experience. So tailoring the conversation to things that apply to their lives, and then they take the conversation in the direction they choose. And then they challenge their own language, and then they challenge what they see on the screen, and they challenge what their friends are texting or saying. And it's really great to be in a classroom where someone says something that might be sexist or homophobic, and then another kid challenges that thing that was said. And then a great conversation comes, and then an explanation about where these words come from but they're able to challenge language and challenge their peers on language and then see where it comes from and then say things like, you know, I just don't know what else to replace that word with, which is troubling in a sense, but so positive in that they see that and you just don't see it in older people. And maybe it's because we're set in our ways where we already know what we think and we already know what our belief system is, but whatever it is, working with 10-year-olds to 15-year-olds is such an uplifting thing to do. And the workshops are just tailoring to them and then letting them take their own direction. How do you incorporate a recognition that different men are situated differently, have been taught to do masculinity in different ways, and have different expectations and pressures in terms of what it means for them to move through the world as a man? Mm-hmm. I think that, first of all, masculinity is very complex. So I guess looking at what we do and the I guess hyperbolic masculinity that we see in media and in our culture, I guess it's not even about redefining masculinity as much as it is about accepting that there are many different ways to be masculine. There are many different ways of presenting and moving through the world. So men can be just as, if not emotional, than anyone else on the planet can have this kind of plethora of experiences and emotions and can express and experience them in any way that is possible. And 
so with that in mind, when considering the question of masculinity, I think that in itself, that challenging and that new way of looking at masculinity and emotion will then address some of the hyper-masculinity and the violence and the narrowness that we've created for masculinity. So by broadening masculinity as being something that you can perform with a plethora of emotions will automatically challenge our narrow version of masculinity that says men have to do this and that and they have to express violence and anger in this way. In terms of some of the specifics of differences among masculinities between masculinities uh, just so one example that you know i haven't done this work so i may have some of the details wrong but it 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 strikes me for example that in talking about masculinity with young black men that it would be very hard to do that in a way that's detached from the way that young black men are seen as sources of danger by so many people by authorities are targeted by white society and by authorities because of both their blackness and their masculinity. And so it seems to me that that would require a different kind of engagement than, for example, trying to talk about similar issues with young white men. Is that something that you find in the work? Um, Yeah, and I think because of the society we live in, we face many systems of oppression. And being a white man that I am, I simply don't face any racism. So all I can do is acknowledge that it exists, challenge my own racist beliefs, and challenge the racist beliefs of our society, and try to acknowledge all forms of oppression as I do this work. As we move forward in this work specifically, I think that we need to be willing to challenge our beliefs and our ideas about all forms of masculinity. So young black men who face incarcerations at higher rates, young Aboriginal people, young racialized men in Ottawa and around Canada, you know, all face this extra oppression. And as someone doing this work in an extremely privileged position, all I can do is challenge my own beliefs and challenge the beliefs of the dominant culture. And, you know, challenge this racism and part of the training manual is acknowledging all levels of oppression and learning how to challenge them i think the other thing is it's important to note that you know a young racialized man who gets incarcerated the responsibility is not on saying to that young man you know you have to do this or that as much as it is on saying you know why is this happening? Why are we in 2013 and young men across North America, young racialized men, are being treated harshly by the police and by our society? And so it's about us challenging that. It's about me, you know, as in my privileged position saying, this is not okay, this is not acceptable, and we are going to continue to challenge as much as we can, any oppression and any racism. And saying, you know, this is a societal problem, this is extremely oppressive and needs to be challenged at a societal level. So one of the things that I think has come up in men working with men against gender oppression in whatever form since at least the 70s is the issue of keeping that work accountable to 
people who experience gender oppression, women, trans people, and so on. So how is the project that you're working on accountable to gender oppressed people? This project comes out of the Ottawa Coalition to End Violence Against Women. It's a coalition, so it's kind of an umbrella group of different organizations within Ottawa. And they certainly are held to account by each other. And I think that as a group, as an organization, this kind of thing does get challenged and we are held accountable by other groups. And I think that's a really important piece. And all we can do is keep being challenged and accepting the challenge and learning from that challenge. So yeah, I think there is accountability and hopefully people will continue to challenge. I think in terms of challenging, I think it's such a positive thing. I simply don't know everything about the issue. You know, and I don't want to put it all on other people to come and challenge me, but I try to be as open as I can, and I know the organization tries to be as open as they can in accepting as many challenges we can get, and then questioning ourselves, doing the work. You know, we can be challenged, um, but we still have to do the work to change. And what tactics do you have at a personal level? I mean, I know myself that there are always going to be moments where you get challenged on something, and there's this automatic defensiveness or I mean it takes different forms but it never feels good to be challenged what personal yeah, I mean, it's kind of a feeling of recoil you just feel a little bit gross for a second for me I guess it's about sitting with that feeling of feeling gross and feeling bad briefly going back to you know as a man I'm not supposed to feel all these things right I mean I think we need to challenge how we feel as well we need to say you know I should feel bad when I say racist things you know, I should take accountability for that. I should feel bad when I say transphobic things and take accountability for that and sitting with that and not pushing back so much. The important thing is to take that and hold that within me for a minute and, and sit with it and, and sit with that pain and, you know, that gut-wrenching, God, I wish I didn't say that or wish I didn't think that and indeed believe that on, on so many levels. And... Unfortunately, that's the only way to do it. It's going to be painful, and we shouldn't somehow feel like we need to be eased through pain, you know? Instead with the pain, yeah, like I think the number one message is stop being so adverse to being <laughs> to being uh, wrong and adverse to feeling that kind of sting you, you should feel when, when you say the wrong thing. You have been listening to my interview with Ian Ford of the I Can Manifest Change Project that works with men and boys to challenge violence against women and against other gender-oppressed people. To learn more about their work, search for I Can Manifest Change Ottawa with your favorite search engine. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked Radio. That's TalkingRadical.ca. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. 